now a fun toy to work in. They got a million toys and toys to us that I can play with. Wow. Well, that brought back some memories for sure. <laughs> yeah. I think for the listeners out there who are, you know, of a certain age, meaning our ages, Michael, late 30s, early 40s, or even older than that, that commercial was probably pretty nostalgic. So, Toys R Us. Yeah. You know, why not? I know we talk about product journeys, sometimes product failures, but what about the store that brought so many products to life? Albeit, you know, physical products. Yeah. I mean, why not? Let's get into it then. The story of Toys R Us right after we cue this intro. Welcome to Rocketship.fm. Rocketship FM is produced in partnership with Product Collective. We are your hosts, Michael Saka. And I'm Mike Belsito. Okay, let's first introduce our sponsors. As AI continues to revolutionize our world, there's a critical conversation we can't ignore. AI safety and security. And that's where HackerOne's AI red teaming comes into play, rigorously testing AI models to prevent them from being misled or exploited. HackerOne employs over 2 million ethical hackers, and 750 of them specialize in prompt hacking and other AI security and testing. So HackerOne isn't just theorizing, they're actively safeguarding AI's future. Just recently, a team unearthed over 100 vulnerabilities in just two weeks. So whether you're at the helm of a startup or steering product innovation at a large company, it's time to prioritize AI security. Visit HackerOne.com slash AI for more. Again, HackerOne.com slash AI. This episode is sponsored by Porkbun.com. Porkbun is a refreshingly different domain name registrar that's different from the other ones like GoDaddy or Namecheap. They've got low prices on hundreds of different domain extensions. They've got everything from .com domains to really cool ones like .pro, .dev, .xyz. Every domain name at Porkbun comes with tons of freebies too, like SSL certificate, who is privacy, DNS, URL forwarding, and hosting trials. Because why pay for things that should be free, right? All these incredible features and tools are backed by incredible support, 365 days a year, and more five-star reviews on Trustpilot from real customers than anyone else. Look, you can get a dollar off your next domain name from Porkbun and see why they're the best domain name register around by using our code. Just go to porkbun.com forward slash rocketchipfm24. That's porkbun, P-O-R-K-B-U-N dot com forward slash rocketchipfm24. You'll save a dollar on your next domain. This episode is brought to you by Gigantic. At Gigantic, you can level up your product skills through live small group cohort based trainings. 
We're incredibly excited to welcome you to our next cohort of our product strategy training kicking off in January of 2024. This course will take you through the frameworks that product leaders use at companies like eBay, DoorDash, Groupon, Rent the Runway in order to scale their teams. It's taught by Ben Foster, a friend of this podcast, who is the former chief product officer at Whoop. So come join us, go to gigantic.is, that's gigantic.is, and save your seat for our January cohort. Your potential is gigantic, and we're here to help you reach it. Go to gigantic.is to reserve your seat today. So the story of Toys R Us, Mike, where do we even begin? Well, we're going to have to go back in time, all the way back to 1948. Here's part of a segment from CNBC that was titled The Rise and Fall of Toys R Us, talking about those early days. Charles P. Lazarus, the son of a bicycle shop owner, was only 25 when he opened a baby furniture store, Children's Bargain Town in Washington, D.C. Two years later, he expanded into toys, laying the groundwork for what would become Toys R Us. Echoing childlike script, Lazarus reversed the R and the store became a sensation. So it started as a children's furniture store, children's bargain town, became Toys R Us. That's the letter R and backwards if we want to be specific. But that switch from being a furniture store to a toy store, it happened only because Lazarus realized some customers didn't come back very often for baby furniture. Once they had their strollers and high chairs and, you know, other baby stuff, didn't really need to come back for more. So he started selling a few inexpensive toys, and those toys actually sold really well. So he kept adding more and more. Lazarus' store was starting to do pretty well, but Lazarus wasn't content with just one store doing well. He wanted more. He had an idea for a different kind of store. Not for one that sold baby furniture and toys, but one that would be massive, selling virtually every toy you would ever find in one place. By 1957, Lazarus had gotten out of the baby furniture business altogether, and he renamed his business. The new name, of course, Toys R Us, which officially became the first big box toy store ever. This massive toy store took a much different approach than the typical single storefront mom and pop style that typically existed, right? It was more like a supermarket for toys. The competition made up of those smaller independent stores would only carry a limited line of products. But Toys R Us, on the other hand, presented aisles and aisles of toys, all sorts of toys. One single location would be as big as 10 to 20 independent toy stores combined. And his timing couldn't have been better. Lazarus started expanding, adding store after store. And, and keep in mind, this was all done during the 1950s. The American psyche at that time, you know, coming out of a period of wartime, it was all about having more, you know, more of everything, really. Richard Gottlieb, founder of Global Toy Experts and an industry expert on the toy business, said, quote, what Lazarus really captured was the sense of American abundance after the war and all of those years of depression. It was also during that time that some of the most iconic toys of the last century were developed. Toys like Mr. Potato Head, Barbie, the Easy Bake Oven. Toys so iconic that they're even ultra popular decades later. Of course, Japan started mass manufacturing inexpensive toys at that time too. Toys like robots, cars that helped. And Toys R Us was able to purchase those kinds of toys in bulk 
very, very cheap. In fact, it was able to purchase toys so cheaply, not just from Japan, but elsewhere too, that it became what some people believe is the first category killer. A large store or chain that specializes in a particular type of discounted merchandise and becomes the dominant retailer in that category. In the 1960s, Toys R Us continued to grow, including by way of acquisition. Actually, it made two acquisitions in the early 1960s, White Front Stores and Tops, both discount department stores. Then in 1966, Toys R Us was actually acquired itself. <laughs> yes, the interstate department stores, a conglomerate with all sorts of department store brands, actually acquired Toys R Us. It wasn't the kind of acquisition where the founder leaves, though. Lazarus was focused on growth, and this was a path that could help Toys R Us do just that. So Lazarus would remain on the board, but as the head of the Toys R Us division. In the 1970s, Toys R Us, as a part of Interstate, continued to grow and added store after store and had some things working in its favor. Like Toys R Us, they first started getting into partnership agreements with companies like Mattel and other toy manufacturers. These companies wanted to market their toys directly to their target audience, namely kids, and Toys R Us gave them a major outlet to do that. Another big thing that helped Toys R Us at that time was a technology that was already widely adopted, but was starting to make its way into multiple rooms within houses. That technology? the television. But how did that help Toys R Us? It wasn't selling its toys directly to consumers like home shopping style, was it? Oh no, but remember, it was running those amazingly catchy commercials like the one we heard before, right? Remember? That's very true. That's very true. And and why were they so catchy? That's a good question. I don't think it was just the jingle, but it was the fact that they also had that mascot, right? Remember him? Yeah, Jeffrey, right? Yes, exactly. Jeffrey. It was to Toys R Us what Ronald McDonald was to McDonald's. Jeffrey the giraffe became this iconic figure in and of itself. And he actually wasn't the first giraffe used by Toys R Us. That distinction goes to Dr. G. Raff, much more professional. <laughs> but <laughs> then uh, what we would know is that fun-loving Jeffrey that we grew up with. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I'm in favor of Jeffrey more than Dr. G. Raff. Anyway, by the mid-1970s, it actually ended up being a tough time for Toys R Us and really a lot of retail stores. I mean, America was getting hit hard with a recession and actually the entire interstate conglomerate, they were having big issues financially. Eventually, Lazarus was put in charge of the entire interstate portfolio to figure out how to restructure. And as part of that restructure, Lazarus decided that another big move was necessary for Toys R Us. Let's go back to that CNBC segment on the rise and fall of Toys R Us. In 1978, it would begin trading on the New York Stock Exchange as a public company. It was the go-to toy emporium. Competitors like Kitty City and Child World went out of business. In those glory days, there was no reason to do anything other than expand. Sometimes they ask me, how did you ever get to be that big? And I said, well, one day I decided to open the second store. And after that, it seemed to get easier. Toys R Us ramped up its store footprint, bringing shelves and shelves of toys to children nationwide. More on what happened after Toys R Us went public and continued expanding well into the 1980s, right after this break. Before the break, we were learning the story of Toys R Us. What happened as a single location children's furniture store was now a category killer. The first supermarket-style big-box toy store with locations practically everywhere. Of course, the growth of Toys R Us in the 1960s and 1970s didn't come without some challenges. 
Particularly in the late 1970s, we learned how the parent company of Toys R Us, Interstate Department Stores, they were struggling. And so as a part of a restructuring, Toys R Us was spun out of Interstate to be a solo entity once again, and they actually went public in 1978, further fueling its dominance as the number one toy retailer well into the 1980s. It was during this time where Toys R Us continued to expand in new ways too. It opened up Kids R Us, and then later, Babies R Us. So wait a minute. If Toys R Us sells toys, does Kids R Us and Babies R Us sell? <laughs> yeah, that's a good question. <laughs> they sold children's clothing and baby clothing and like home goods. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay, okay. I just wanted to make make that clear. A anyway, that uh, here's a clip from Wall Street Journal in a segment about Toys R Us, and it discusses Toys R Us's dominance into the 1980s. Now. In this clip, you're going to hear from an industry expert and then Charles Lazarus himself and even a former Toys R Us employee. In the late 80s, one out of every $5 spent on toys was at a Toys R Us. Toys R Us uh, suddenly became this 800-pound um, gorilla, or maybe it was an 8,000-pound gorilla. Did we put a lot of people out of business? And the answer is yes, we did. And the customer recognized we had a superior assortment and sold at a lesser price, and they came to us. In 1988, um, I went into Toys R Us to buy some diapers, and I was a new mom. I applied for a job, and they interviewed me on the spot, and they hired me. I started as a cashier, then I worked in the cash office, and then I was the administrative assistant. I did all these things. Lazarus retired on top of the toy world in 1994, but the company was facing a major threat from discount retailers like Walmart. Toy commercials helped kids decide what toys they wanted before they entered the store, and Walmart was willing to sell some of these toys at a loss to get parents in the door. Walmart, more than a toy store for us. We felt it from the customers. There were arguments over not matching the price, and then people would yell, oh, I'll go so-and-so, it's, it's cheaper there anyway, and they would yell at us. It wasn't our fault. While the 1980s were a decade of dominance for the Toys R Us, this clip illustrates how that time period going into the 1990s was a little bit different. Because while Toys R Us may have been the first category killer, now there were new category killers. Companies like Walmart giving Toys R Us pretty stiff competition. We also heard how the visionary Charles Lazarus he was now retired, and he went out on top. But might his departure have helped put a ding into Toys R Us as well? After all, sometimes when the visionary of a business leaves, it changes things. Yeah, and, and Toys R Us, you know, they did try to do what they had to do to fight the competition with Walmart and others. I mean, those companies, they were undercutting Toys R Us's already low prices. Let's go back to that Wall Street Journal segment for a bit more. Toys R Us tried trimming down its toy selection to stay competitive but stock prices declined sharply in the 90s. In 1998, Walmart overtook Toys R Us as the number one toy retailer. Management became disconnected from the product. It lost the magic. When the magic went away, the people went away. Toys R Us needed to adapt. It needed to adapt, but like, right now. And keep in mind, Michael, this is the late 1990s. There was another thing that was just coming out that presented an opportunity for Toys R Us, or it could present the biggest challenge yet. And what is that? The internet. I mean, by this time, Amazon was already cementing itself as a major player online, first selling books, but now getting into everything. And it wasn't just Amazon. E-Toys was an online retailer that was growing. Toys R Us found itself in a pretty tough spot. Let's go back to that CNBC segment, the rise and fall of Toys R Us here. It was unprepared for what no one saw coming, the dot-com era and the rise of the big box store. E-Toys, the internet toy startup, came seemingly out of nowhere, but it was a powerhouse. 
In need of a quick internet strategy, Toys R Us signed on to an expensive partnership with Amazon in 2000. The deal, one of the first of its kind, gave Amazon the exclusive rights to sell Toys R Us products on its website. But the pretty penny Toys R Us paid for the deal had some strings attached. Amazon soon began selling third-party items in direct competition with Toys R Us. Toys paid for exclusivity it didn't get. Toys R Us took Amazon to court to get out of the contract. But legal tussles sent them back financially and left them even farther behind on their e-commerce efforts. So their big bet on the web by partnering up with Amazon it ended up being a bad one. The deal with Amazon ended badly, and the legal costs alone caused a lot of financial pain for Toys R Us. This, on top of the fact that even more supermarket-style retailers, namely Target, were also blossoming, Toys R Us saw its stock decline, and it became clear that they're going to need to explore other options. Explore other options. Well, let's go back to that CNBC segment. It was forced to review with strategic options, which, in Wall Street speak, is a for-sale sign. A troubled retailer in the mid-2000s was no problem for a private equity firm. In fact, it was bait. Financial investors were diving into the industry, buoyed by a combination of low interest rates, recognizable names, and the view that a retailer's steady cash flow would continue forever. The buyers for Toys R Us were a trio of investors, KKR, Bain, and Vornado, which paid $6.6 billion for the store in 2005. The hope was to revive the company and take it public, using those proceeds to finally pay down the debt they slashed on it. But neither of those goals would come to be. Debt payments made further investment impossible, and competitors, once again, began moving in, this time on Toys R Us's strong baby business, Babies R Us. Newly launched diapers.com drained market share from the company. Bed Bath & Beyond launched Bye Bye Baby, investing money that Toys R Us didn't have into nicer and more modern stores. All the while, the toy industry was contracting. By the early 2000s, children who always wanted toys were switching to computers, video games, and tablets. From 2012 to 2017, the toy industry declined annually at a rate of 3.1%. There was trouble behind the scenes as well. And amid the business's struggles, ultimately, it missed its chance to go public. The retailer stayed private, and its business dwindled. By 2017, it was worried it would not be able to make its debt payments. It hired restructuring advisors who began to craft plans for pre-packaged bankruptcy for after the holiday season. But in September, CNBC cut wind of the effort. Toys R Us isn't alone in its struggles. In fact, it joins other major retailers, Payless and Radio Shack, in filing for bankruptcy in 2017. Toymakers were stunned. Within a week of the article's publication, nearly 40% of its vendors refused to ship product without cash on delivery, fearful they would otherwise not be paid. It was a run on the bank. The company tumbled into bankruptcy, forced to file without a plan to emerge. It told the court, its vendors and shoppers, that under bankruptcy protection, it could finally make the changes it needed to compete. Toys R Us's competitors, smelling blood in the water, slashed their prices, their final attack against the legendary retailer. The crucial holiday season was dismal, and it would not be enough to keep it afloat. The weeks that followed included intense negotiations, but the conclusion soon became evident. Toys R Us would need to liquidate and it would shutter its roughly 800 stores across the U.S. That's right. 
in 2017, Toys R Us would go into bankruptcy and in early 2018, it would shutter all the remaining stores that were left. Stores that stuck around after so many of its stores had already closed. Toys R Us would be gone forever. Or was it? More on what happened after Toys R Us went away after a quick break. Before the break, we learned about the rise and fall of Toys R Us, the iconic toy superstar that any kid born in the 1970s or 80s is sure to have a lot of nostalgic memories of. But many of you may have heard Toys R Us, in a way, has been making its way back. In January 2019, well, this happened. Here's a clip from Good Morning America. Two years after that bankruptcy, Toys R Us is working on its comeback story. It has the same name we all feel that nostalgia for, but visit the store and you'll get a whole new experience. Three, two, one. Toys R Us is back and just in time for the holidays. Now prioritizing experiencing the toys in store as part of the sell. The once mega toy retailer reopening this store in Paramus, New Jersey this weekend under new ownership. The famed Jeffrey the Giraffe there to greet those waiting in line to get in. The reimagined store offering interactive experiences from a treehouse to a Nerf test range to stations where kids can play before the parents pay. So Toys R Us would make its way back. This new experimental location in Paramus, New Jersey was meant to be the first of many. Yes, parent company True Kids now controlled the Toys R Us brand and they opened up this location in a shopping mall in New Jersey and then another in the Galleria in Houston. But then COVID-19 hit and they had to shut both of these stores down. And unlucky second start to the brand new Toys R Us. Yes, but hey, they weren't done yet. True Kids, they actually got acquired by another holding group, and that group was intent on making the Toys R Us return actually happen. Just maybe in some different ways. Okay, how's that? Well, they would go on to launch new locations, but these new locations wouldn't exactly be where you'd expect them to be. No, okay, so the first restart had them starting up in shopping malls. That was kind of different, at least compared to the Toys R Us of the past. Where would this restart have them? Well, sort of the same place, but in a much different way. Let's go to this NBC Bay Area segment about the re-return of Toys R Us, uh, a take two, if you will. Time to be a kid again. Toys R Us officially making another comeback. Yeah, this is our first look at the return, now open inside Macy's in San Francisco. It's a Toys R Us pop-up. Toys R Us teaming up with Macy's stores all across the country after it forced to forced to show close its own stores back in 2018, the standalones. Toy stores will range from 1,000 square feet to up to 10,000 in flagship locations like this one in San Francisco. Number of other Bay Area locations set to open too. All will be open by October, miraculously, right before <laughs> How convenient. the holiday season. Pretty cool to see that. Yes, there are plans for there to be a Toys R Us presence in every single Macy's location, all 509 of them, just in time for the holidays this year. A store within a store? I don't know. I think it works. It's kind of brilliant in a way. They could take advantage of the Toys R Us brand, the nostalgia, but without the expenditure of a completely separate retail footprint. It's definitely interesting. Now, will it work? 
I guess only time will really tell, right? But it'll be fun to find out, won't it? Yeah, for sure. I mean, look, it might find me in a Macy's this holiday season, which probably wouldn't have happened otherwise. Same here. Same here. I mean, I want to I want to go see Jeffrey. I want to go see what's up there. So, um, yeah, that, you know, that's going to wrap things up for this week. We're going to be back next week with another product journey here on Rocketship.fm. But I don't know, Michael. I was thinking maybe one more vintage Toys R Us commercial on our way out. I'm not going to say no. So for Mike Belsito, I'm Michael Saka, and this is Rocketship.fm. It's a new and hot. It's a toy they've got. And the prices are hard to beat. I don't want to grow up. Because if I did, you couldn't be a Toys R Us kid. More games, more toys. It's the world's biggest toys. Let's go. Toys R Us. You'll never outgrow us. Thank you so much for listening to Rocketship.fm. It is your support that keeps the show going. If you can, take a second and leave us a review wherever you listen to podcasts. It helps out the show so much. We're also part of the Podglomerate Network, and if you'd like to listen to more great shows from the Podglomerate, go to thepodglomerate.com to see the full show listings. This episode was mixed and mastered by Court Deans. Rocketship.fm is produced in partnership with Product Collective, a community for product people. Go to productcollective.com and get access to our weekly newsletter, live video interviews, Slack community, product job board, and a whole lot more. Again, just go to productcollective.com.